Okay, well this morning we're going to get started with our scripture. It comes from, as you know, we've been in a series on the book of Colossians. So our scripture comes from Colossians verses, uh, or Colossians 3, verses 17 through 4.1. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that we have the freedom to be here this morning, that we have the freedom to hear your word, to experience your presence. And God, we pray that you would walk with us in this place. Father, for those that are hurting and, and mourning this morning, I pray that you, you would be with them and that your peace that passes all understanding would come upon them. For those that are full of joy, and celebration this morning, I pray that you would be with them and that they would feel your peace that passes all understanding. God, for the terrible violence that is happening in our country right now, we pray that there would be an end. We pray for those that are going through so much right now. God, we know that you are Lord and that you are sovereign, but these things we don't always understand, but we pray for your peace to come upon this country. Lord, I pray now that you would speak through me your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of months ago, the pastoral staff was meeting to discuss upcoming plans as we usually do every week. Every Tuesday we have these meetings. And Pastor Paul let us know that he was going to be away this Sunday and asked who would volunteer to preach. Very reluctantly. I raised my hand. A few weeks later, I really wish that I had not raised my hand because then we read the passage of scripture that I would be preaching on today. And I'm pretty sure that the entire pastoral staff saw my face go visibly white. My first immediate instinct was not me. Someone else, who's gonna do it? Who's gonna stand in his place? Because I, this is not, the kind of scripture I think that I can handle. This is only my second time preaching here at North River. This is clearly senior pastor level material here this morning. Submit, obey, masters, slaves. Not the heartwarming passage of scripture I was hoping for. And let's be honest, when we read passages like this, it can be a little overwhelming. It can make us cringe a little bit on the inside, right? 
Those passages exist. There's a few in the Old Testament I'd love to ask God about. When I think about wives and submit, the picture that it conjures up in my head, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really that docile, sit on the sidelines kind of gal that this, this picture is in my head. And slaves, slaves obey your earthly masters. There's no place for slavery. I think about slavery and I consider it a very dark stain on the past of those that would call themselves followers of Christ. Children, obey your parents. Actually, I think, I think the apostle falls onto something there. We're going to roll with that one. We're going to let that fly. I don't want to see those thumbs down back there. But to be perfectly honest, right, without any context, without any background, without any cross-referencing other scripture, to just read this right out the gate, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a difficult thing to understand. And we're going to work through that today. And I'm hoping that by the end that you're going to see this beautiful, God-breathed passage of scripture is nothing less than revolutionary. Let me give you some background first. So at the time this letter was written, the Roman Empire, let me just fix my cord here. The Roman Empire ruled the land. They were, they were everywhere. They were the law of the land. And there were some things in play that we may not know about, right? So first off, men ruled the household. Women, children, and slaves were considered nothing more than mere property. They were property. They didn't have any rights, and they were a tool. They were a tool of the household. The only value they had was whatever they could bring into the household. Slaves were actually literally regarded as tools. They would be classified, say, like a screwdriver is classified, or gardening tools are classified, except that they could speak, but they had no other value beyond their classification as a tool. And when they became of no use, they were tossed out to the side. They were left to die. Pretty bleak. More than at various points within the Roman uh, Empire, about half the population were slaves. So this was very commonplace. It was as commonplace as owning a car or a microwave. This was how it was. Children were only a little better off, if at all. They were still considered property under Roman law. And children had to obey their fathers completely. But a father did not have to give any consideration whatsoever to his child's thoughts, his feelings, their raising. And in fact, what's worse, so if you were a slave in the Roman Empire and you somehow won or bought your freedom, you were free. You were considered a free man or a freed woman. But if you were a child who was sold into slavery, which was also common, and you won or bought your freedom, you weren't free. You went back to your father who could then again sell you back into slavery if he so chose. Women, they had a difficult experience in ancient Rome as well. At best, they were thought of as an annoyance. At worst, they were a tool. And according to the Greek writer Simonides, women were the worst plague Zeus had ever made. <laughs> a man could do whatever he wished to his wife. The Roman Valerius Maximus writes about another Roman who killed his wife for simply drinking some wine that he didn't want her to drink. 
He goes on to say that not only was there no criminal charge, but everyone thought she brought it upon herself. A man in Rome could divorce or even kill his wife for no reason without repercussion. And the ancient Roman Empire was an incredibly brutal, brutal place to live. So this is the context, right, in which this letter was written. Rome was the law of the land. So Jewish culture was a little bit better. Women, children, and slaves were not treated as harshly as they were in Roman households, but they didn't share the same rights and privileges that we enjoy and think of today. And as I was preparing for this message, I came across a common prayer that a Jewish man, they're said to have prayed every morning from around this time period. And it goes like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. A slave, child, or woman's testimony would not have been accepted in Jewish court, law, and authority. And married women, thankfully, they did carry more rights than their Roman counterparts, but they could still be divorced and cast out for just about any reason. So in all of these cases, whether you are a Jew living under Roman law or you're the rest of the Roman Empire, these three classes of people were subservient to the upper class men. Okay, so now that we have that background, I want to take you over to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 21. So in this letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul is saying almost the same thing, almost word for word, except that he adds a lot more detail that I think is really important to today's message. So we're going to take a look at that. Starting in verse 21, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now we don't see that verse in Colossians. But then we move on to verse 22, and it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That's just like it says in Colossians 3. But do you know what's interesting about this Ephesians passage? Verse 21, where it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, followed by verse 22. Verse 22 actually has no verb in it in the Greek. There is no submit to. The the verb in the Greek is hupatasso, and it's not in verse 22. So it would literally translate, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. That being the case, the translators here, they go back to verse 21. They assume that that's the the verb that we want to use in in this sentence, which is right. That's the correct way to translate Greek. But what we got to get here is that verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, is the controlling principle that we as Christian people are to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is a mutual submission between all Christians everywhere. So from there, Paul gives us a fuller picture of why. He says in verses 23 and 24 that wives are to do this because the, head is, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to your husbands in everything. Then he gives husbands the same command that we see in Colossians. Husbands, love your wives. But here again, he expands it. In verses 25 through 33, he says this. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I want you to picture this with me. The Apostle Paul is asking something absolutely radical and beautiful and potentially unthinkable to husbands within the first century. It is a beautiful picture. He's asking husbands here to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Do you know what that means? Think about it. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, put the needs of all humankind before his own. He walked in humility. He loved the unlovable. He prayed for his people, and he sacrificed his life for those that would betray him. That kind of love. By any standard, ancient or otherwise, this is a radical, sacrificial, difficult love to live out. This is a love that considers another person's thoughts, feelings, and emotions, a love that acts in kindness and gentleness and humility and with purpose. This is a love that guides and encourages and sees the best in people and calls out the worst with grace. This is a love that puts other people before oneself. And in this way, right, this is a husband's submission to his wife and to God, as Jesus did for us. And as he commands this of the husbands within the marital relationship, he commands wives to take the first step by being willing to submit to that kind of love, that kind of sacrificial love. To submit to another person is a choice, right? Paul's not talking about the subjugation of one party over another. To submit to someone is a choice. It's mutual sacrifice, love, and respect. I could probably do a whole sermon series on this, but this is not actually where we're going today. But to hit on that, there we go. Paul breaks the mold for children and slaves as well. So what was commanded of fathers and masters would have been considered absolutely laughable and ridiculous, especially to Roman citizens. A father was called to show care and concern for his child and fairness to slaves in his household. What Paul is asking here, you need to see this, is revolutionary. This is not how they lived to suggest to slave owners that with God there's no favoritism, that they too, you slave owner, have a master in heaven, would have been unthinkable. So Galatians 3.28, Paul actually takes all of these thoughts one step further, and he says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. 
There have been so many times over the years that I've heard this passage and others like it, like the one in Ephesians 5, for instance, be described as archaic or be described as discriminatory or as pushing down human rights. But when you look at this in historical context, when you take the time to understand what it means to love as Jesus loves, and you understand just how unfair and broken the system was at the time, you understand that this is such a radical call to love and mutual submission to one another that now, even 2,000 years later, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Whatever the relationships you find yourself in, Paul is laying out a new way of living that we're still working at. Husbands and wives, do we love and respect each other as Jesus treats his bride, the church? Children and parents, do we obey and give our full love and attention to our children? We don't have slaves and masters, thankfully, here, but we have employers and employees, and I think sometimes it feels the same. And in this case, do we lead with honor and respect and fairness and work with all of our hearts? The heart in all of this, really the whole point can be found in verse 17. So let's go back to that verse for a moment. Verse 17 is so, so important. It sets the tone and the purpose for the whole rest of the passage. Leading up to verse 17, Paul has commanded us to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts, to be thankful, to let the word of Christ rule within us, and to sing with gratitude in our hearts. And he finishes up in verse 17 by saying, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, whatever you speak, that pretty much covers everything, right? That covers everything. Husbands, wives, children, parents, employers, employees, you are commanded to do whatever it is that you do in the name of Jesus. And it can be a beautiful picture. So what does it look like in our lives when we live out this radical love and mutual submission to one another? When we recognize that everything not just some things, but everything can be an act of worship to our Savior. How would your relationships change with your spouse, with your children, your friends, your employer, your employees, when you know that you are called to live like it matters and to radical love? I want to point out three things today. When we do everything in the name of Jesus, relationships deepen, strengthen, and grow. So to those of you who follow Christ, and I know that there are some of you in this room, you're not sure about Jesus yet, that's okay. We're glad you're here. But for those of you who have chosen to commit yourselves to Christ and turn over your life to him, to submit to him, what was it that caused you to turn your life to Jesus? What was it that caused you to submit? Was it because he was tall, dark, and handsome? Was it because he allowed you to indulge your every whim and desire? 
Was it because he has the means to provide you with your dream car, your dream house, your dream job, and an easy life? I think the answer here, I hope the answer for all of us is a resounding no. We submit willingly, right? Because submission is a choice to Jesus because we recognize that even though he knows us better than we know ourselves, he knows everything we have ever done and will do, he died for us anyway. He was willing to sacrifice his position of ultimate authority for the people that he loved. That's you and I. The people that would become his bride. And he loves those people without condition. We submit because he loved us first. When love is given in that sacrificial, real way that cares for the needs of others, why wouldn't you want to submit to that? Submission becomes easy, right? And then loving becomes easier. And then submission becomes easier. And then loving becomes easier. And it's this beautiful cycle. Ultimately, we are called as Christians, like Paul says in Ephesians, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we are all called to love others as we love ourselves, as Jesus says in Matthew 22. Relationships, whether in marriage, between parents and children, employers, employees, between friends, become strengthened and deepen when we love and submit to one another. And oftentimes that means that we have to take the first step in those relationships. When we do everything in the name of Jesus, we find joy in our daily lives. Do you want more joy? Who doesn't want more joy? Who doesn't want more joy in their life? When we change our thinking to reflect that everything that we do matters and live out that principle of doing it all in the name of Jesus, we will naturally find more joy in everyday tasks. Everything begins to have purpose and meaning. Think about it this way. Uh, five years ago, we adopted, well, we didn't adopt, we bought, I'm going to be honest here, a German shepherd. Her name is Elsa. She's just the best dog that ever existed. But our breeder, very much up front before this dog ever came home, told us that if she did not have a job, she would destroy our lives. That dog needed purpose. She needed a job. So as you can see from the pictures here, she found her job. She is with her people. These are her people. She is the protector of her people. Wherever the people go is where the dog goes. She loves her people. She found purpose and therefore did not become destructive. <laughs> when we have purpose, we find joy, just like Elsa here. And this one is actually, this is from this morning. She knew we were leaving for the Berkshires, saw the bags going in the car and went, you're not leaving me. She truly has her purpose. When we do everything in the name of Jesus, ready? This is so important. When we do everything in the name of Jesus, guess what? Everything matters. Everything matters. Moms and dads, for those of you with young kids who feel like all you ever do is pick up toys and feed children again and again and again. 
and change diapers all of the time. What happens when you face all of that, remembering that it matters, that you are bringing glory to God in your daily life, in your daily tasks? That sweeping up that mess for the 12th time today has brought God worship. And that giving your best at bath time, even though no one else is watching, has brought him glory. Employees who have tough bosses or employees who feel like their work is insignificant and meaningless. A means to a paycheck and nothing else. I think we've all been there at some point, right? We've all had that job. How does your attitude change when you remember that your work is made significant because you do it for Jesus. You do it in his name. Crunching numbers mean something to God. Speaking to that client who has creeped up on your very last nerve with kindness and respect means something. It means something to God. God sees your acts of worship. Students, I haven't forgotten you. could never forget you. What happens when you believe that your parents actually have your best interest at heart? What happens when you go into that math homework remembering that any task you set yourself out on is not useless, but it brings glory to God? And I chose math on purpose. I hate math so much. When we change our thinking from this is meaningless, menial, pointless work to I am doing this in the name of Jesus, everything begins to matter. Our attitudes shift in a way that people cannot help but notice. They can't help but see something is different about that person, and I mean different in a good way. Oftentimes, God opens doors at that point, right? Doors to conversations about what on earth makes you so different? What is it about you that then allows us to share what God has done in our lives with someone else? And those are the most important conversations you can have. I had a friend... Middle school, sixth grade on up through high school. We've stayed friends for the years. I graduated a while ago, so it's been a long time. And over the course of my friendship with her, she knew I was a Christian. And she, oh, she knew I did things differently. I was, I was that girl who'd stand up to the, to the bullies in school. And I was that girl that did my homework on my own and, and didn't join in on the the little cheat share they had going on, and I was the girl who wouldn't drink at the parties. And she, she noticed, and she'd ask questions. She wasn't ready to take any steps, but she asked questions about what all of this meant and, and why was I living this way. Oh, and how could I have so much hope when I was dealing with so much badness at home in my home life? How could I possibly still have hope? So the years went on, we're in college, and she calls me and she says, I took a world religions class and 
you know, we, we were looking at the book of Romans, and I had to write a paper, and I wrote about you. You know, that part where God works all things for the good of those who love him, I think that's you. The tears streaming down my face. Somebody heard something. Fast forward further. Christy, I've had my first child. I'm really confused about this God stuff. But I think, I think I believe in, I think my kid needs to have faith. What do I do? A year ago, she and her husband became believers. I could cry, sorry. It was, it was a long journey, over 20-something years of just living, right? Like everything matters. 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul's radical words, they can still transform us. And rather, be, rather than being words that, that tear down and dehumanize, they're actually words that lead to freedom to joy, and to purpose. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, when you pay the bills, when you're tempted to lash out in an argument, when you're sure that you have literally the worst boss in all of the world, when you're tempted to cheat on your homework, and when you are sure that you cannot pick up one more toy, when your spouse is driving you crazy, when you hate your job, press the pause button. Think about how Christ submitted to you and do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the God of the universe who works in all of us in amazing and beautiful ways. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us all the strength that we need and the courage that we need to do it all in your name, to remember that it is all an act of worship for you. God, we're so grateful for everything that you've done for us. And again, Lord, we pray peace upon the people in this room and peace in our world. In Jesus' name, amen.